Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. How do people who cannot see your website well or at all use your website or products? I'm Jolene McDonald, and this question is something we'll be touching upon today in the fourth episode of our podcast, Why Access Matters. In this episode, and with continuing focus on making your brand accessible, we want to talk about people with visual difficulties and other visual disabilities and how accessibility is crucial for them too. We think it's important to think about the tools and approaches that people with different kinds of visual disabilities need to navigate a sighted world, not just from a personal awareness standpoint, but also from a development and design standpoint to help developers, designers, and all of us to understand the principles for creating accessible websites, web applications, browsers, and other web tools. So let's take a moment to think about how we define visual disabilities. Have you ever heard of W3C? W3C is a short form referring to the World Wide Web Consortium, which is an international community where member organizations and the public work together to develop web standards. W3C's mission is to lead the web to its full potential, accessibility for all. Regarding visual disabilities, W3C's website states that visual disabilities range from mild or moderate vision loss in one or both eyes, low vision, to substantial and uncorrectable vision loss in both eyes, blindness. In addition, some people have reduced or lack sensitivity to certain colors, which is referred to color blindness, or increased sensitivity to bright colors. These variations in perception of colors and brightness can be independent of visual acuity. They also state that people with visual disabilities typically rely on changing the presentation of web content into forms that are more usable for their particular needs. For example, enlarging or reducing text size and images, customizing settings for fonts, colors, and spacing, listening to the text-to-speech synthesis of the content, listening to audio descriptions of video and multimedia, and reading text using refreshable Braille. They conclude, for these web browsing methods to work, developers need to ensure that the presentation of web content is independent of its underlying structure and that the structure is correctly coded so that it can be processed and presented in different ways by web browsers and assistive technologies. For example, some assistive technologies rely on lists, headings, tables, and other page structures so that web browsers and assistive technologies can identify them. This is why W3C stresses the importance of structured and properly coded web content. And this conclusion brings us to an important sentence that we emphasize in our latest episode. An accessible design supports different presentations of web content and different ways of interaction. Now that we've started thinking and talking about visual disabilities and accessibility, let's focus on some examples of barriers for people with visual disabilities. Images, controls, and other structural elements that do not have equivalent text alternatives, text and images with insufficient contrast between foreground and background color combinations, text images and page layouts that cannot be resized or lose information when resized, video content that does not have text, audio alternatives, or an audio description track. Take a moment to imagine how frustrating it would be to carry out a task 
set an appointment or grocery shop online if websites didn't function properly for your use. Pretty frustrating, isn't it? This is why good design and development is so important. Now we want to go beyond thoughts and theoreticals, aiming for a better understanding and how important it is to break down barriers. I talked to Andrew Tuddy. Andrew is the lead auditor and web tester here at Accessibrand. Andrew has also sat on many boards and committees, including the Physically Handicapped Citizens Association, Halton Hills Accessibility Advisory Committee, and most recently he sat on the Grand River Accessibility Advisory Committee, which is where we met each other. Andrew has retinitis pigmentosa, but this hasn't slowed him down or his sense of humor or his dedication to helping others. In our conversation, he spoke about his lived experience and addressed many key points about how to move forward towards a more accessible world. Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. So hello everyone, my name is Jolie McDonald and I am the host of Why Access Matters. Uh, this is our fourth episode of our podcast and today we're talking with Andrew Teddy to hear his thoughts and experiences about accessibility. So welcome, Andrew. Hi. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I uh, was diagnosed with uh, retinal pigmentosa when I was 24 years old. So that was many, many years ago. And since then, it has progressed. And now it is at the point where I am totally blind, mostly. I have light perception only. So I've been traveling this path for many years. And as it's declined, my journey has actually changed over time uh, as I've had to adapt to different things as things went away or my eyes changed. So that was a big challenge um, to, to try and find. Well, you, you just get used to one set of circumstances with the way the world looked and then it would change and you'd have to readjust. So it's been an interesting few years, I must say. So when you talk about adjusting, is that because you like you lost your vision so slowly, like you had to adapt so much to those changes with seeing some things and then some light and then nothing? Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, something would change. And then what you used to see, um, you couldn't see anymore. But you don't know that because of the way this particular disease affects the retina. You don't know that you're not seeing uh, until you're really not seeing. Like now I know for sure. But uh, in the early stages, uh, it, you almost felt like that it was a lie <laughs> to some degree, but you knew it wasn't. It's just you didn't see what you didn't see and you didn't know you weren't seeing. Um, it was very deceptive that way. And that's why it took me so long to pick up a white cane because I still felt I could see because I was seeing what I was seeing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So it, it, to pick up that white cane was a big intellect, well, not emotional challenge. Um, to, to, to really just say to yourself, okay, I really need this device yeah. um, for my own safety and for the safety of those around me. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know um, based on obviously your condition and going blind, you've now brought that, you know, your disability into lived experience with your work in accessibility. So how does that feel for you? Like 
tell us about that journey about, you know, going blind and then not being able to work with what you were doing before. And now you're part of our team, which people don't know you're our lead auditor. So how did, you know, that journey, can you tell us about that? Well, um, when I was first diagnosed um, at that time, I was a driver. I did, uh, you know, jobs that, that uh, had a driving component to them. In fact, I was a bus driver for the city of Calgary and was, you know, driving people around to their jobs. Um, so that was a huge, huge um, change. And uh, probably still to this day, I don't notice it quite so much. I don't feel it's quite so much, but certainly at the time, that was a big, big change in my life that I was no longer able to just hop in a car and go wherever you want to go. So I got involved um, with a, a course at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, and it was an introduction to computers. And this is back in the 80s, late 80s, before the internet um, was uh, available to the public. So at that time, uh, the, the challenge was to just be able to access the computer, period. And some of the programs that were involved at the time, which were um, WordPerfect, which was a big one that we used, um, and um, uh, Lotus for spreadsheets. So um, because I had vision, I was using a screen, not a screen reader that reads the screen, but a screen magnification device at the time. And that was uh, worked well for me. Um, after I took that course, I eventually got a job with a financial institution and started out in what I would consider kind of like a secretarial pool, if you will, doing an admin work. Um, and then um, I moved in the company to become an auditor of their computer systems. Uh, over time, I went from just auditing AS400 computers uh, right through to auditing large computer centers here in Canada, and uh, I even had a chance to travel. So my vision at that time was substantially more than what it is now. And I could see the writing on the wall that there was no access to those computer systems. And it didn't look like there was going to be, especially something that was mobile. If I was going to different computer centers, I'd have to have something with that would allow me to access the computer systems on their site it wasn't ubiquitous or universal, which is still the same issue today. So um, that went away with as my eyes started to deteriorate. And uh, I, I moved on from there. Um, I was uh, moved to more of a volunteer type position um, in the community. And th that's where I lent my expertise uh, since then. And then, of course, with Accessibrand, Brand, um, I found some uh, great opportunities. Thanks for sharing that, Andrew. I know you and I met on a municipal advisory committee and uh, you gave me some of you know, your background and that's how we got chatting about doing web audits. How did you get into edit, like auditing websites? Well, um, it was really something that it just kept nagging at me in those meetings in particular when um, uh, participants would come looking for advice. And the first thing I would notice was that their website was not quite accessible. Yeah. And, you know, so that was something that just started to become forefront in my mind because I had that background. So I could offer my advice in regards to that when it, when it did come up, whereas in other areas such as mobility and things like that for people in wheelchairs, I wasn't, I didn't have that lived experience, but I was learning through mm -hmm. that accessibility committee of what those lived experiences are. And so that helped broaden 
my uh, experience in the disability advocacy arena, but I still had a focus on on uh, the accessible websites. And I implored them to, you know, find somebody to look at these in a in a um, logical format to explore the actual accessibility of the website, not just take it for granted or hope that it was, or hope that the company that they used to create the site was doing everything that they needed to do to make it accessible. Yeah. So that's really what, what uh, has driven me since then. And, you know, my own experience with the web prior to, I could see. So that particular issue uh, with accessibility for people in my particular circumstance, using screen reading technology, which reads the screen to you, it made it that much more imperative because I, I need to access the internet. I need to. And it, it became personal almost. Well, especially yeah. nowadays, everything we have to do is online, right? Uh, absolutely. If you cannot get online, then, you know, what's your alternative? You have to try and find a phone number, uh, especially when you're dealing with the government. Um, you know, how do you find the phone number? You yeah. know, yeah, absolutely. So thanks for sharing that. I know one of the things that uh, you and I talked about, too, is, you know, it's one thing that we volunteer our time, but people need to understand the value of paying for lived experience that, you know, not just asking someone with a disability to test or audit their product for free, you know, it's important to value that experience and, and that's how their products are going to make it better. And so that's why, uh, that's why you're our lead auditor. So we can make sure that people with disabilities and particularly yourself, that we can tell clients and let people understand how significantly important that is, you know, to, to keep auditing and making sure that we pay for that lived experience. Yeah, well, it's critical actually, because I mean, if you look at the disability community worldwide, uh, you're talking about a 15% of the population globally that has a disability of one sort or another. And if you look at the uh, community that is blind or visually impaired, their um, uh, employment rate is significantly depressed. Mm -hmm. People don't want to take the chance to hire somebody who's blind. They have no idea what my ability, what their abilities are. For instance, like I, I, uh, my wife and I have a daycare, so I do all the computer work for that daycare, plus I cook. So if I can cook in the kitchen and have learned to how to manage uh, cooking in the kitchen and taking care of the children to the degree that I can, then I can learn pretty well anything. You know, if, if I need assistance at time, that's a, that's a valid thing, right? Uh, to be able to ask for assistance and for somebody to say, hey, I can help you out there for this particular uh problem that you're having. But uh, yeah, it's critical that uh, people start to value people for being people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's that social model versus medical model where, you know, we talk about a lot about people feeling sorry because we had disabilities. You know, our team, primarily everyone on our team has a disability themselves, but that's what makes us the experts and trying to get people to understand that having, you know, us test or work on their products is just as big a credential as, you know, having a diploma because they need that. And if they want their products to be successful, they should be paying for that lived experience and not, uh, you know, undervaluing what our, you know, our values are or what our work experience is just because something might've changed. Yes, we may not do things the same way, but we can still do them just in a different way. So it's about that flexibility. That sort of leads us into the next question. What's your message to people who don't know about accessibility and are afraid of it? Well, I didn't know people were afraid of accessibility. Um, I suppose I have found that people are more afraid of a disability in and of itself. Um, 
when I tell people I'm blind because they may not know right away when they first meet me, yeah. their first response is, oh, I'm sorry. Well, why are you sorry? <laughs> you didn't do anything. And I've lived with this and I've learned to live with this. And it's who I am, part of who I am. But being afraid of accessibility, you know, it's, it's, we're all going to become disabled eventually. So why be afraid of something that's going to help so many thousands and thousands, millions of people? Yeah. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it because one day you're going to be disabled and you're going to require some accessibility tools to help you manage uh, as you grow older um, and as, as uh, you become infirm. There's so much movement towards this um, in the medical field, you know, uh, as people become socially isolated with their disability, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about uh, personal um, support working robots. I mean, the, 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 the whole um, uh, vista of uh, accessibility is exciting uh, now that the technologies are there and just growing exponentially every day. So I think you should be excited about accessibility, how you can incorporate that uh, into your, your business, into your life, um, because you never know when, uh, if it's not you, it might be a family member that uh, is going to require some assistance in that regard. So the more you, you know about it, um, the more you've uh, educated yourself about it, better equipped you're going to be going forward. And not to mention for the businesses that, you know, we talk to and others that we hope to talk to, it's the potential of earned income that they could have. You know, what is it? We said 22% of candidates, 15% worldwide. Visually impaired alone, I think, is 1 billion people worldwide. If you just made a few changes to your website, it's not a lot of money, but it's a lot of money you can lose. Like there's millions of dollars of revenue they could be earning, you know, maybe not each one individually, but trying to, I guess, get people to look at things differently because a lot of people are afraid of accessibility because of the fines or they're scared about where to start. I think it all comes down to money a lot for businesses. But if they just started with one small thing, you know, the opportunities are so much bigger for them in a lot of other ways too. Yeah. It reminds me of a Bill Bill Murray, baby steps. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's how you start, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, And there's lots of help. I mean, you know, we have the internet and if you want to learn about accessibility, it's everywhere on the internet. Everything's on the internet. So, you know, the information is there um, and, and, you know, uh, let's, let's utilize it. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, this is not necessarily part of the conversation we're going to talk about, but, you know, the idea of overlays with websites, uh, you know, people are, being told they can fix accessibility so quickly with these plugins and it's low dollars X a month. But what people don't realize is that it might be good for someone who has cognitive disabilities and can click buttons and change the, you know, the patterns and the colors and the font. But for someone like yourself who uses JAWS, those overlays actually cause more problems. Do they not? They um, impede uh, my ability to use the product that I have, uh, with all the power that it that, that that product has, I don't need additional interferences, and that's how I look at it. It's an interference. I have to navigate out of it, away from it, uh, and it doesn't always um, react well with what I'm trying to view and how I'm trying to interact with that particular website. It's really just a paint job um, because underneath the website is still inaccessible. 
Yeah. So it may look at it, it may feel it, it may have certain aspects, but ultimately it's not an accessible website. And I think this is the big issue because right now what you have is you have people coming out of the school systems, universities and colleges, and people that are um, doing ad hoc coding online with nothing available uh, regarding uh, making the websites that they're building accessible. Yeah. So right off the bat, they're creating a problem. Yeah. Not, you know, it's not helping. It's creating the problem. Yeah. It's so important to put accessibility into the beginning of your project, not to complete it and add it later. I just wanted to add that thing about overlays because people ask often about plugins and with our audits, we see these things. So just a note to everyone out there, please don't use them. They, they really don't benefit anyone in the long run. They are a temporary fix. So, you know, if you need a bridge to get to the next step, that's great. But for a long term, it's really not the solution. But thanks for adding that, Andrew. I think that really leads us into the next sort of topic is, you know, why accessibility is essential for society, not just for people with disabilities, especially related to technology. Well, anything that you do to make things more accessible is going to um, help everybody. It's just that's the that's the way it is. You know, if you make um, your environment uh, itself more accessible, that helps not just the person that that might be um, having mobility issues that's in a wheelchair or, or, or what have you, but just an, a person who's older, who's able to manip- can't manipulate a doorknob anymore. But if you change that doorknob to a lever system, then they can use that. Um, so, I mean, and that's just a small thing. But yeah, when you change things to become more accessible, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, they, they now have like smart devices, like even washing machines. There's a Samsung, if I'm allowed to do a little advertisement here, there's a Samsung washing machine that I saw demonstrated and it works through your app on your phone and the app itself has to be accessible and it mostly is. So you can actually do your wash um, from your app. There are certain things that you have to do on the machine and you learn that, but uh, to actually activate it, um, you use the app. And the app isn't built specifically for people that are blind. Mm-hmm. It's built for the convenience of everybody. Yeah. Right? Because you can be, you can be away from your, your washing machine and it'll alert you that it's done Yeah. Uh, rather than having to go down and check. So that's just a small example um, of, of how accessibility, uh, once you start to... Uh, to implement that, that it just, it just um, moves through society uh, and everybody benefits. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's, it's, uh, that's, that's the importance of it. It's everybody benefits. And if, if they're not benefiting right this minute, they will. Yeah. I think that's the hard part is to get people to understand that it's not just for someone with one specific type of disability, which I've encountered in sales throughout my last bit of my career since starting this company is, oh, well, we don't have anyone with disabilities. I'm like, really? You probably have no idea. But some of the things I know you've encountered, even like during COVID, because technology was rushed so quickly, you couldn't book your second vaccine, right? There was other things that you couldn't do because accessibility wasn't part of the thought process. Um, You know, you do shopping online, you do banking online, you do all of those things. What other kind of barriers have you faced when they weren't accessible that you should be able to do independently, but needed someone to help you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just had that experience the other day with banking, um, you know, and I, I spent an hour on the phone with individual that may not be in charge of their development, but uh, 
you know, I was trying to stress to them and show them just how inaccessible this particular app that they put out there was. Um, there's an agreement that you have to select and it's a checkbox, but my, my phone's voiceover, which is the accessibility tool for vision impaired people on the iPhone, um, it, it went by the box. The box wouldn't appear. So obviously the code there isn't correct for the accessibility uh, voiceover. So I couldn't agree to the terms and conditions. Therefore, I can't use the app. Right. So, you know, hopefully they'll get that message. And I stressed, you know, who's who's looking at this for you? Who's making sure that this app is accessible before you put it out there to the general public? Yeah. You know, and that's just one little one. See, all it takes is one thing to make it inaccessible. Yeah. I think that's another good point where we talk about, you know, they have people on their teams within bigger organizations that are specifically devoted to accessibility, but those people don't necessarily have lived experience. So they're using, you know, like the AI generators for accessibility or the quick code checkers that, you know, are free um, and they may have checklists and maybe they've taught themselves to use some of this assistive technology, but it still cannot replace real people and these user scenarios. And that's how we approach the projects that you and I work on is user scenarios. Like what are the main things you want people to be able to do on your app or your website or the PDF or whatever that digital piece is that has to have accessibility integrated into it. I know you've you've hit quite a few roadblocks. You can get so far and then you can't go any farther. So yeah, they're called showstoppers. Yeah. You know, because that's it. I'm done. You know, I can't proceed any further than this. So I haven't been able to complete the task that I tried to complete, you know, and, and when they change things uh, again, that adds another dimension of, you know, you usually they'll break their own device anyway, or their own app anyway, in to a certain degree for the general public. But if it's uh, an accessibility piece, that that can change entirely and the app is no longer accessible. Yeah. Uh, but they put it out there. Yeah. You know? think- and again, it's it's like you said, you know, they may have checked all the boxes that they need to tick. But until you have an actual human being test that site out, then you're not assured that it's accessible. You're hoping that it is accessible. Yeah. And, and I don't um, think AI is going to replace people yet. It may eventually, but it's certainly not there at this time. So, you know, thanks no, for it will never. That. I don't think it will ever replace people because um, people um, people have a different way of, of uh, approaching things. Um, you know, and it, sometimes you can like make a workaround, and and that's something that that we all have had to do with our disabilities. There's a workaround. So, you know, I don't know if, if an AI program is going to, you know, because you could do a workaround and say, look, you know, this didn't work this way, but I found a way that it can work. Maybe if you look at it from that perspective and uh, incorporate that into your development, that, uh, you know, your product would be more successful. Yeah, I definitely think there's, not 100% perfect in accessibility. I don't think anyone's the, the biggest expert, but what we can do as a collective is that try and take the spectrum of disabilities through the through the senses, you know, and try and meet that highest, most affected part of that disability maybe, but we certainly can't mimic that. And I know we see lots of times we go, oh, well, I have, you know, 93%, 95%. Okay, but what's that last 5%? that means maybe someone can't pay a bill. They can't apply for a job. Just like, you know, Farshid and I talked about, Farshid has a scooter that he uses for his assistive device. And if it's a five centimeter curb, 
he cannot get in that building. It's the same 5%, you know, that's great. You got 95% compliance, but what is that final piece? So I I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, that sort of discussion on that. I think one of our final questions we want to talk about is what's your advice to other accessibility advocates and activists or whoever wants to support accessibility? What kind of advice would you give them? Well, my only advice is that um, you have to have um, short memory, perhaps. Um, you have to be tenacious because um, it's 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 a hard road, um, and it's you know I face it daily, um, not so much in my own home, but when you're out in the community, um, it's a constant education, and it gets tiresome. It does get tiresome. You know, oh, here we go again. Here's the same questions over and over again. But that's just, that's how it is. So you really have to be tenacious about it. You have to be um, dogged um, about um, advocating for yourself. Um, And by advocating for yourself, you're actually advocating for others. Because there's, you don't know what your advocacy will do to change things. Um, and it may just be your little experience at the coffee shop, or it may be you on the airplane. Um, but by advocating for your for your uh, your rights uh, as a disabled person and uh, helping people understand um, that uh, we all have these human rights and that that we need to work and strive towards them. So really, that's that's all I can tell people. You know, you have to just keep at it. Um, it's, it takes years and years and years. I mean, our Constitution just celebrated its 40th anniversary, and uh, written into that was an accessibility uh, disability portion, which you know just became part of the Canadian um, landscape within the last uh, four or five years in law. Mm-hmm. But it, it took 35 years. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you, you've got to be able to uh, uh, do the little things that you do and, and hope that over time uh, things do change. Yeah, I definitely want to stress, too, that even if you don't have a disability yourself, like how my journey started, I wasn't affected. It was my daughter. And once you, you know, quote unquote, see what it's like to lack accessibility, you can't unsee it and no pun intended for you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't ignore it once you know it. Um, I know with some of our audits we've done, once they saw you demonstrating JAWS, they knew they had to make those changes, but sometimes they don't feel that compelled to do that until they visually experience that or however you want to put that. So I think even for people who don't have that disability themselves is to take the time to learn, don't be afraid of it. And, you know, keep pushing for it. Because like you said in the beginning, we're all going to have some sort of, you know, disability at some point in our life due to aging or an accident, even if it's temporary with a broken leg. Like we're, we got to think differently, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, part of that audit process, um, uh, one of the things that I, I like to stress is that, you know, take take the, the half hour after the audit is done and do a screen share with me so that you can see yourself just how these tools act on your website, you know, because if it's not JAWS, it's NVDA or it's uh, the Windows native accessibility app, 
they're all the same for the most part. They use utilize the same sort of uh, uh, keystrokes, and and uh, because you're accessing everything through the keyboard, um, they may react a little differently uh, at times, but uh, for the most part, they're the same. So you know, to to have that experience. Um, rather than just looking at an audit going, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, to, to see it in action and hear it uh, from my perspective, um, I think it, it brings some clarity. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's definitely been an interesting journey just to see what you know our team has experienced in their lives and what our clients experience. But I think if people can remember that if you build it accessibility into your projects at the very beginning and make it part of your product or your roadmap, it really won't be that difficult at the end. So try and add a new step to your project. Start it, you know, integrating in the beginning. We're still doing a lot of Band-Aid fixes as our other consultants, but something I also talk about is all of us working together. We're, we shouldn't be siloed in the accessibility community is that we can all work together because, you know, essentially we'd love to be out of work because that means that we have a fair and equitable world. So uh, I think that's just valuable information to share that. Do you have anything else you would like to share or say, Andrew? I know you always have lots of great things, but I have one movie quote. OK. And you just reminded me of it. OK. If you build it, they will come. That's true. It's 100% true. I think people will find it as they go. Um, I really appreciate you spending some extra time with us today, Andrew, to talk about your lived experience and just helping be a better ally and helping create other allies for accessibility and disability. So thanks again. Well, thank you for um, giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Why Access Matters a podcast by Accessibrand, thoughts and talks about accessibility. Hello again, everybody. I'm Jolene from Accessibrand, and thank you for listening to our podcast, Why Access Matters. You just heard a conversation that I had with Andrew Tuddy. Please take a moment to reflect and focus on some parts of what he said and ask yourself some questions. Andrew talked to us about the fact that 15% of the global population is disabled, and sadly, so many employers pass over visually disabled candidates due to their disability. Still, he rightly remarked that they have no idea what my ability and their abilities are. My wife and I have a daycare, so I do all the computer work for that daycare and I cook. So take a minute to think of people who work regardless of any barriers or disabilities. Would you employ someone who could execute the tasks you needed, but in a different way? Why or why not? We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have a disability and work, please reach out to us. We welcome your perspectives as well. Andrew said something so poignant that when he was asked for advice for those who might be hesitant to confront disability and accessibility, he stated, embrace it because one day you will also be disabled and required some accessibility tools to help you manage as you grow older and as you become infirm, which is so true. We will all experience disability at some point in our lives. Do you see yourself becoming disabled in the future? How would you handle it? Do you find it a scary prospect? We'd love to hear your thoughts, so please share with us. Andrew also remarked on the knee-jerk reaction some people have when interacting with people with disabilities, including the visually disabled. He said, when I tell people I'm blind, their first response is, oh, I'm sorry. Well, why are you sorry? You didn't do anything, and I've lived with this, and I've learned to live with this, and it's who I am. It's part of who I am. Have you ever responded to this in a way before or had someone respond to this way to you? How did it make you feel? Please reach out to us and share your stories. 
We hope these questions and prompts, along with my conversation with Andrew, have resonated with you and provided a different perspective on how you view disability, accessibility, and employment. Because our motto is always, accessibility is necessary for some of us, but beneficial for all of us. Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. Well, we've reached the end. I'm Jolie McDonald, the founder of Accessibrand and the host of our podcast, Why Access Matters. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to me and my colleague and special guest, Andrew Tuddy, in our fourth episode of Why Access Matters. The next episode will follow on the last Friday of October, the 26th. But until then, please send us your thoughts and ideas, follow our podcast and podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or any other platform you listen to podcasts on. Check out the blog tab on our website to read articles by our fabulous guest, Andrew Tuddy, and follow our admirable sponsor, CCRW, via the links in the description of our podcast. And of course, don't forget to introduce us to your friends, family, and network. Please consider checking out our website if you need any accessibility services and would like to utilize the valuable lived experience and experience of persons with disabilities. You can visit our website at www.accessibrand.com. Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. This podcast is published thanks to funding from CCRW, Canadian Council on Rehabilitation and Work. CCRW's mission is to promote and support meaningful and equitable employment of people with disabilities. Check out their services at ccrw.org.